You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. mini-podcast, bite-sized podcasts, to preview the upcoming Detroit Lions game. It is week eight already somehow, and we are going to get ready for the Lions-Seahawks game this Sunday. But this isn't such a bite-sized podcast because we have a little extra work to do because quite a bit of news dropped in between this podcast and our late regular podcast, and we wanted to take a segment before we bring in our Seahawks guests to talk about it. Because on, well, officially on Thursday morning, but dropped by Adam Schefter on Wednesday morning, the Detroit Lions traded a fifth-round pick to the New York Giants for Damon, Snacks, Harrison, perhaps one of the best run defenders in the league. I'm here to talk about it. My name is Jeremy Rice, and I am the managing editor, the fearless leader of FridayDetroit.com. With me right now is Ryan Matthews at Ryan underscore POD on Twitter. Ryan, how are you doing tonight? Have you recovered from the news? What's going on, my friend? Uh, I have not recovered. You talk about this being not such a bite-sized podcast. I'm interested in some king-size snacks because (laughs) this was the news that I don't think anybody could have anticipated coming across their their feed uh, Wednesday morning. I know I was completely shocked when I saw the news. Um, I was probably about a half hour, 45 minutes behind everybody else because I was busy with my day job uh, reading The Crucible with a bunch of 10th graders. So... Uh, brag. Yeah, nah, <laughs> not a big deal. Um, but so, I mean, you walk me through it because, I mean, I, I'm sure it, it must have been great to get your first bit of like East coast news where you didn't have to wake up at five 30 in the morning to, to tend to it. Right. You are not kidding. Um, well, I mean, we were fresh off recording the podcast where we had said like, yeah, probably nothing's going to happen. I mean, we like to talk up the trade deadline every year. Nothing happens. We're not even sure if the lines are contenders enough to be a big player. And then I'm sitting, I'm not even on Twitter at the moment. I'm editing a Canadian football article, which of all things, and I get a text from Brett Whitefield that just says, snacks. And I'm like, what? And I flip onto Twitter and and all of a sudden this, this trade has gone down. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited because I, I know who, like, I'm going to be honest. I'm very narrow focused in the NFL. I focus mostly on the Detroit Lions and not a ton on everyone else especially since I don't, don't do fantasy football. So like it, you'd be hard pressed for me to name a bunch of interior defensive linemen in the NFL, but snacks Harrison is a name that I think everyone who pays even a little attention to the, to the sporting world of, of the NFL knows. And so when I found out it was him and he was coming in, I immediately knew like, Oh my God, that's a run stuffer. That's the nose tackle that Matt Patricia always wants with his defense that, you know, has become so synonymous with Patriots defense is having that big nose tackle, your big Vince Wolforks and the Lions got him for a fifth round pick. And I'm, I couldn't hold in my excitement. Like I, I was that, that was the single handed most excited transaction. This franchise has done in a very long time for me. I, I can't, I can't really even think of a transaction in the past that had me more excited than this trade did that's that's a pretty bold statement coming from you because i think of anybody of anybody at the website i feel like you're pretty much the most even keel like you take things very take things very evenly but you were you were over the moon with this deal like i mean you were quick to you know put something out there to say that the lions won the trade deadline doesn't matter patrick peterson gets traded doesn't matter what really goes on like the lions made a move that 
definitely, definitely improves their team, like dramatically. Like this is, you know, you talked about it on the podcast earlier in the week, our, you know, our uh, POD cast. You talked about how the Lions, when they went to Miami, they had a few things that they needed to prove. They needed to prove that they could, you know, use a tight end competently. They needed to prove that they could uh, stop the run. They did both of those things, and now they went out and got arguably maybe the best run defender in the NFL in, in Damon Harrison. It, it, and for a fifth round pick, like I, I think that's the that's the thing that is most shocking to me, right? Yeah. Like to, to get to get this guy for a fifth round pick. Now I understand why the Giants maybe make this deal um, because they're just completely in fire sale mode, uh, straight Tobias Funke. Like I love it. Like it's incredible that the Lions are able to capitalize on the Giants fire sale, but for a fifth round pick, it's so low risk. And the rewards and the and the potential gains are so great for a team that is so hungry for, you know, that quote unquote, you know, nose tackle that Matt Patricia really uses in his defense um, or in his defenses of yesteryear. You know, the Lions now have this like three headed monster on the defensive line along the interior with Deshaun Hand, with Damon Harrison and with uh, with Ashawn Robinson, with, with those three guys, like I feel like that, like the the defensive line went from, you know, think about back to the preseason. Like we're talking about how like this unit elicits no confidence amongst any of us. Like it's one of the things that we are the most down about this defense. Fast forward to week eight, ha- you know, almost halfway through the NFL season, and could this be the strongest point of the Lions defense now? I see. I I'm, I'm hesitant just because of that point you just made to call the strength of the defense. But I mean, with the way Deshaun hand is playing, which is also a complete surprise oh, and totally with, with snacks here for, for the next two and a half years, like, I, I don't even know what to say. We, we, I've been saying for a year and a half, this team needs an interior defensive line and they have it. It just emerged out of nowhere because as, Happy as I was that the Lions were aggressive and traded up to get Deshaun Hand in the draft, he's already wildly exceeded my expectations. And so oh, totally. bringing in snacks now is just like this. I, I don't recognize this team already. It's only eight weeks in, and I don't recognize this team from what I saw in the preseason. And considering how high I was off that Dolphins game, to have this happen forty-eight hours later is just like I'm. I'm not used to feeling this optimistic about the Lions, especially when they're three and three and have a hell of a schedule ahead of them. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely going to be a challenge. And I I know when the Lions make a move like this, where it seemingly shores up exactly what needed to be fixed. um, It's, it's easy to say, well, you know what? The Lions fixed the arguably the, the weakest part of their defense. Now it's just kind of off to the races, but you know, I think what the Patriots what the Patriots were able to do. And, and and I think that always bears mentioning, especially right now with Matt Patricia, because what, what he's been able to do so far with this defense is he's been able to really manufacture a pass rush out of, out of scraps and loose ends. Right. I mean, we're talking about Romeo Aquara. We're talking about Eli Harold, some of these very, you know, no pun intended, but unheralded guys. Right. And, you know, add, add a guy like snacks to the, to the middle, and all of a sudden, I, I think things start to kind of open up for other players. I mean, I, I, I want to say this is almost a little bit analogous, but, you know, when a lot of people were so, um, you know, so fervent in their feeling that on Johnson needed to be getting the ball more and Matt Patricia w- was, you know, his response was, you know, what? I think he's out there for quite a bit of snaps. You know, we, we, we want this guy to stay fresh. We know how to, you know, push players. We don't want them to hit like the rookie wall, so to speak, um, kind of paraphrasing what he was saying, but like, you know, at a certain point, you know, Deshaun hand has just playing, he's been playing so much football. Like, I mean, he has so many snaps. I think he's already racked up like 242 snaps in this season. Yes. So, I mean, I think it's crucial. You bring in a guy like Damon Harrison so that, you know, maybe you can dispel Deshaun hand because with as well as a Sean Robinson has been playing ever since being a healthy scratch in week one, like now you have the ability to, you know, not, not work Deshaun hand into the ground and, and and you, you kind of build like a little bit of a, you know, protection around him potentially hitting that rookie barrier. So I, I think, I think this is like, I, I think this move is just so it's going to do so much for the lions defense. Um, and, and I just can't get over the fifth round pick thing. Like, I think yeah. that's the, it, it, I think that's the most important part of, of, of the deal almost. Yeah. I mean, 
let, let's be honest here. It's more than just a fifth round pick. You have to take on his salary too, which is pretty big for just a run stopping defensive tackle, but I mean, worth it. Cause he, I yeah. mean, you look at his PFF grades for his entire career. You don't see more of a straight line than that. It's like 85, 85, 86, 89. This guy yeah. has just been consistently one of the best run stoppers in the league. And it's just hard to imagine that there wasn't one team that's like, okay, we'll do fourth. Nope. Now, yeah. what team would rather just bump it up to a fourth? We're still talking day three picks here, guys. I don't know how you don't pull the trigger if you're another run-stopping needy team. Maybe just no one was in the market for him, but, I mean, wow, the Lions just – I don't want to say they lucked into it because, I mean, it took some skill for, for Bob Quinn to pull this. And can we talk about Bob Quinn just for a second before we get into the actual preview? Um, has anyone turned around their fortune, turned around their image in Detroit faster than this guy? Because you look after week one, we're, we're seeing Ashawn Robinson on the bench. We're seeing Tease Tabor on the bench. We're seeing Jared Davis struggle. Suddenly, the you know, Bob Quinn can't draft. His 2017 draft class is an absolute mess. They didn't address the defensive line. This team is going nowhere. Now, if I were to pull the Lions fans about Bob Quinn, he'd be in the 90s in terms of percentile, uh, in terms of uh, uh, approval poll. Approval rating, he, yeah. He was in the 20, I think he was in 26, like the second week in September. This guy, I, I mean, I, I'm guilty too because I was I was that guy. I was like, wow, Ashawn's going nowhere. Jared Davis is a bust. I, I, I never said those words exactly, but it certainly came into my mind. And wow, now now Ashawn's playing well. Jared Davis might be playing well as well. I'm I'm, I'm still not quite ready to to confirm that, but even Tease Tabor is, is contributing meaningful. I mean, and and of all the complaints that we had we i mean the one thing we couldn't ever say is kenny galladay wasn't succeeding because that guy is a monster i mean i don't think i could be realistically happier with the job bob quinn has done in three years especially through the draft because it actually looks pretty darn good so far yeah i mean he i and and i'll be the first to admit it too like when the jets game happened i i half jokingly half seriously was like this doesn't look great. This could, <laughs> this has the potential to be terrible. Like I immediately like joked around and like changed my Twitter avatar. And I was like, yep, play dead Fred. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we can make the jokes, but I mean, even, I mean, there are articles about the lions potentially having the first round pick and it's like Nick oh. Bosa, yep. you know? Yep. So, so I mean, the, the ability for him to completely just pull a 180 on his perception is incredible, but you know, the, the last thing I want to say about about Damon Harrison is that, you know, you, you wonder about how much like value a guy like that can can prove to have in your defense. And and you and you wonder about, you know, OK, yeah, the contract might be a little bit steep, but, you know, the Lions do have an ability to get out for like relatively little sure. dead cap, yep. um, you know, if, if they choose to do so. But I mean, with the way that this guy has, pl- you know, has played over the past, you know, um, you know, four or five seasons uh it'd be you'd be hard pressed to wonder why you'd want to you know move away from damon harrison especially when you know we just got done talking about how crucial it is to have a guy like that in a matt patricia defense you know lining up at nose tackle but um you know i don't think it was any coincidence that the year that the giants all of a sudden went 11 and 5 that that was the first year that they had snacks Harrison. Like they, they made a lot of changes on that defense. You know, Landon Collins, you know, made a step. Um, they got Olivier Vernon, you know, he was an eight and a half sack guy that season as well. Um, did the whole, you know, added uh, Janoris Jenkins, Jack rabbit. Like they went out and they kind of did the whole, let's buy a bunch of free agents. I think maybe the, the biggest free agent get that they had on that team was, was snacks Harrison. I mean, according to, according to pro football reference, like that season, um, his approximate value was 18. That's a huge number. Like, like I'd love to put that into context, but like, l- l- let me just tell you that that's like, that's a big approximate value. Yeah, for and, one season, and that's crazy for one season for a run stuffer. Yeah. It's, it's nuts. And uh, I mean, and I guess Matt Patricia just looked at that team as like, want, give me all of those players. <laughs> yeah. Now, Romeo Aquara. Now we got Eli, not Eli Harold. Uh, I can't think of the other guy. Oh, Devin Kennard. Kennard. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and now Snacks. And, and it, it's interesting. Uh, I, I want to kind of hold back my optimism a little bit because it's just in my nature. And 
I mean, you also look at the Lions' run defense, and, and the problems were bigger than just they didn't have a, a proper nose tackle. Because, like we said, Ashawn was starting to play better. Um, Deshaun Hand, um, certainly not necessarily – he was more of a nose tackle on, on passing downs, but um, certainly he was playing better. The Lions still need great play out of their linebackers, and they haven't been getting it consistently. So – Jared Davis needs to continue playing as well as he did against the Dolphins. I need to see more out of Christian Jones, Jalen Reese Maven. That second level is still going to be key in, in making sure that those occasional runs that do slip by the defensive line don't go for those big plays that we've seen opposing teams hit on so many times already. But these guys are going to, these linebackers are going to have a lot more space to run in now because Snacks Harrison at 3.55. I I saw a video of him. I was at practice today, but he was kind of too far away. Fox 2 Detroit has video of him next to Ezekiel Anza. He looks like three Ezekiel Anzas smushed together. (laughs) That man is going to be tough to move. He's literally 20 pounds heavier than anyone else on the team. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm trying to hold my excitement back a little bit, but I think this is just about as good of a move the Lions could have made before the trade deadline. In, in in that non-Madden world where things actually happen. And I, I don't know. I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm, I'm very geeked. And, and it couldn't come at a better time, right? Because the Seahawks are coming into town. We're talking about a team that runs the ball more often than anyone else in the league. And so when we come back, we're going to be talking to John Gilbert from field goals to talk about snacks, to talk about the Seahawks, to talk about a three and three team versus a three and three team, a big NFC showdown in week eight. We'll be right back. Welcome back to first bite our Detroit Lions preview podcast for prideofdetroit.com, the SB Nation blog for the Detroit Lions. As promised, we are going to get right into our week eight preview with the Seattle Seahawks. And with us to help us break down things from the Seattle perspective is John Gilbert, a writer over at Field Goals. John, how are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. Thank you for the opportunity to come on and discuss this game with you guys. Absolutely. Uh, Seahawks week always seems to be interesting, and uh, I don't think this game is going to be any different. Um, Both teams three and three. Both teams won three out of their last four. Seahawks coming out of their bye. Lions just came out of their bye. Um, Let's talk about the Seahawks, though, because they're kind of a fascinating team to me. I think everyone kind of counted this team out at the beginning of the season. You know, the dismantling of the Legion of Boom is obviously kind of the biggest uh, storyline with this team. And then they come out loose to Denver in week one. And everyone's like, yep, we were right about this team. But now all of a sudden they've climbed back to three and three and their defense is actually looking pretty good. So John, why don't you kind of tell me about the roller coaster season it's been uh, from your perspective and uh, where your perception of the team is at uh, through seven weeks. You know, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. I mean, there were a lot of changes on defense, not just to the Legion of Boom, um, but up front defensively as well. Sheldon Richardson is obviously in Minnesota now. Michael Bennett was shipped off to Philadelphia for, you know, a box of used balls. It there were it was more than just the Legion of Boom, and I think even more surprising, I think Pete Carroll has the reputation as someone you know, a defensive back whisperer. You know, he he made Earl Thomas who he was and Cam Chancellor and Richard Sherman and all those guys, you know, that was Pete Carroll defensive backs are his specialty. And I think, you know, fans were concerned about the secondary, but they were, it was less of a concern than the pass rush because that, and that initially, I mean, in those first two weeks and those two losses to Denver and Chicago, there was no pass rush. I mean, the Case Keenum and Mitch Trubisky were able to do whatever, you know, to sit back there and just relax, have a picnic in the backfield. And that's one of the big things that we've seen a change in the last couple of weeks. There has been defensive pressure. I mean, the Oakland offensive line has been decimated with injuries and they've got, they had three young guys playing in the line. Um, And so that contributed to a part of it, but there was more pressure, I think, in that game than in any game that they'd had so far this season. And then on the offensive side of the ball, um, you know, just getting things squared away with the new offensive coordinator, new offensive line coach, new system, um, Russell Wilson running a far, far less than having to learn pocket presence under Brian Schottenheimer, as opposed to his gunslinging bail out of the back of the pocket and run around until somebody gets open that he's done for the rest of his career. 
Um, you know, it's just there were a lot of growing pains. It was pretty ugly those first couple of weeks, and a lot of fans were way, way down. But like you said, three out of four now, and, you know, some of the optimism is returning. Obviously, having played the cards in the Raiders helps, um, you know, make the path a little bit easier. But uh, still, to be at 500 six weeks into the season, I don't think a lot of fans expected this. I know I didn't. Well, let's talk uh, about some specifics here. Um, you mentioned all the, the defensive line that's gone. Cliff Averill is obviously a guy the Lions know well that's also gone. Um, where has this newfound pressure been coming from? Is it is it the defensive line? Is it the second level? Are they blitzing a lot? They have seemed to blitz a little bit more than they have in the past. They've brought some linebacker blitzes. Bob, Bobby Wagner's come a little. Barcavius Mingo has been used a little bit. Justin Coleman has come on a nickel blitz some. But a lot of it has been um, other members of the defensive line stepping up. The, you know, Frank Clark is just a beast, and he's in line for a massive contract, whether Seattle extends him or whether he hits free agency. And he has just been feasting so far this season. Um, and you know, he's been the lone, the bright spot initially. He was the lone bright spot to start. But Quentin Jefferson has gotten in and gotten some pressure. Jerron Reed has gotten into the the game as well. And it's Brandon Jackson. They they've all. Start, it's a lot of young talent that has started to come together and started to put things together they've shown flashes in the past at time but we never saw anything with any kind of consistency and maybe it was simply getting to face the Raiders line and maybe it was you know the youth coming together but hopefully for you know from a Seahawks fans perspective we'll get to see continued pressure going forward so obviously I'm sure you guys are hoping for the opposite but (laughs) Brian you want to jump in there with a question yeah sure absolutely so I you know um the the Seahawks defense has, has kind of been it's you know the, it's been the feather in, in the cap for for Seattle for so long, but we've also seen you know Seattle be able to um, prove themselves on offense. You know Russell Wilson has played out of out of this world for the most part. Um, you know through his uh, through early on in his career, but um, one of the biggest things that Seattle's had to overcome recently is um, their woes when it comes to their offensive line play. Um, how how are the how are the Seahawks able to kind of mitigate some of the deficiencies that they have along the offensive line so far this year? Um, we know that they're a team that's you know they've run the ball more than they have you know thrown it this season. That they're the only team in the NFL um, that can that can uh, you know stake claim to that. So you know what are the Seahawks doing um, on offense um, that's that's making it so that they can you know perform as well as they can um, despite maybe some deficiencies they have along the offensive line. Uh, I mean, the biggest change, I mean, the, when they changed the offensive coordinator and the you know offensive line coach, the biggest thing you'll see in the game is that Russell, he has a pocket presence and he's pocket discipline that he hasn't had in years past. And it seems like if you watch the tape in the first couple of games, there were a lot of growing pains because for years, um, you know, he had that patented backdoor escape where pressure would come whether up the middle or you know one off the edge and he would do the reverse spin and pivot out to the outside through the back of the pocket and he's gotten away from that Brian Schottenheimer has beaten pocket discipline into Russell Wilson through the first you know six games of the season and we're seeing him for the first time in his career actually step up in the pocket he's not he's a lot more consistent in his drops he's not dropping deep he's not dropping shallow um, and they've the offensive line They've they've had problems. I'm not gonna you know never. I'm not gonna sit here and deny that they had problems. I mean, they had all, the running game was atrocious last season. They've had tons of pressure the last couple of years, but I don't you know if you look at some of the metrics, whether it's PFF's pass blocking efficiency or whether it's the new pass blocking uh, win ratio that ESPN and Brian Burke have put out, the the Hawks line has been average to above average the last couple of years at times. Um, in 2017, by the pass blocking win ratio they were which for for fans who are not aware that's ESPN's proprietary metric that they've developed that looks at whether or not an offensive line is able to hold a pocket for two and a half seconds and their line was 11th best in the NFL by that metric last year the issue was that with Russell not having that one of the issues let me say that with Russell not having the pocket discipline with Russell with the inconsistencies in his game as a 
pocket passer um, that led to a lot of pressure in combination with the fact that they ran the youngest offense, youngest, least experienced offensive line out onto the field for three quarters of the 2016 and 2017 seasons. So I'm not here to say that the line was perfect. What they've done is they've cleaned up all the, uh, all the other stuff has been you know worked on there was a lot of pressure coming from that was allowed by the tight ends that was allowed by the backs you know I don't think anyone here is going to sit here and say that Jimmy Graham is a great blocker whether it's pass blocking or run blocking and he's gone um, you know and in his place they drafted Will Disley he's hurt so he's out but they've got Ed Dixon who PFF graded as the best pass blocking tight end in the NFL last year he set you know set to take his first snaps of the season this weekend they've got They've been playing George Fant as a sixth offensive lineman who was their starting tackle in 2016 before an injury derailed his uh, 2017 season. So it's it's kind of a whole approach that they've taken to alleviate this problem. Um, one of the knocks on first-round running back Rashad Penny when he was drafted was how bad his pass blocking is. And he hasn't seen the field a lot. He's still uh, you know, he's third string behind Mike Davis and Chris Carson, who are both not only outperforming him as running backs carrying the ball, but as pass blockers as well. So, It's interesting. That's- a lot of that sounds kind of like what the Lions are doing is in the overhauling their kind of complete offensive line scheme or, or just blocking schemes. But it's, it's also interesting you bring up that ESPN stat because it's not one that Lions fans have become fond of already because their tackles actually rank 30th in that, whereas just about every other metric, it seems like the Lions offensive line is playing well. But um, you you bring the conversation to the running back, which is where I was going to go anyways, um, because it seems like the the Seahawks kind of have a a three-headed monster, although, as you mentioned, Rashad Penny, kind of not as much part of the the game plan as I think maybe some thought. Um, Tell me about what Chris Carson and Mike Davis bring to the table and what we might see out of Rashad Penny, if anything, on Sunday. You know, Chris Carson is, uh, I mean, I love to just watch him run. He's not the back. You see him, he, and he's, he's smooth. And he's big and he's powerful. He breaks tackles. He has, he's uh, got the agility to make a man or two miss. Um, you know, he's athletic enough. There was the highlight week one, if you saw him jumping over the cornerback, trying to step up and make a tackle in the Denver game. He is He's just a physical specimen, but he's he doesn't have the breakaway speed. He doesn't have the you know he's not a game changer. He's not gonna you're not gonna see him break off an 80 yard run typically because he's thank goodness I think if he yeah <laughs> I mean but he's the guy who you know he. he it takes multiple defenders to bring him down. He fights for every yard. He's top five in the NFL right now for yards after contact uh, by PFF. And, you know, he's just, he's, he's the big powerful back that, that uh, Pete Carroll absolutely loves. In contrast, Mike Davis is fantastic as a receiver out of the backfield. And he's got, he's not as, he's a little bit more explosive maybe than Carson, but he's not quite as strong, but he is still, he's a playmaker and he was running, you know, we talked about the line a lot for pass blocking. I, you know, but I, they've redone the line this season um, and put to the, they they had two of the worst guards in the NFL last season um, in rookie Ethan Posick and right guard Odey Abushi and Mark Lewinsky was was a right guard as well, as well as Luke Jokel was in the mix. Um, And they've replaced those with J.R. Sweezy and DJ Fluker. Neither Fluker nor Sweezy are known as great, um, you know, as great pass blockers, but they are both known as being very, very nasty players. They're just, they both have a mean streak and they are big mountains of men who are, who want to, get push and generate push and they've just been, they've taken that nastiness and they've ridden that behind the consistency of Carson and Davis to you know to take the running game to back to where they were back in 2013 and 2014 boy i mean that's that, that that's not the news that i think lions fans would have wanted to hear before wednesday happened because snacks <laughs> Because Snacks Harrison happened, and I think much to the chagrin of of Pete Carroll, I don't think he's you know driving cross country in a Toyota Corolla like he he was at practice today, and it looks like he's gonna he's gonna be able to play. So hopefully the the Seahawks running game, which has been much to do well, like I mean like you know you talk about some of the metrics, and you know according to uh, 
uh, football outsiders DVOA statistic, they're number one in power rank, um, their offensive line. So, I mean, in terms of running the football, everything that you said kind of just matches up. Um, is I, I specifically want to just talk about Russell Wilson real quick. And I know we'll get into more specific matchups in the second segment, but it seems like Russell Wilson by, you know, um, either like PFF grades. Um, I'm a fantasy owner of uh, Russell Wilson. Um, and, and I have been for, for a few years now, it seems like his level of play just isn't where it has been in years past. Like, do you think that it's just taking him time getting acclimated to the, to the, you know, the new offensive coordinator, the new offensive scheme? Um, do you, do you see like gradual improvements from week to week uh, with Russell? And, and do you think he's maybe on the cusp of, of maybe breaking through here anytime soon, hopefully not this week? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's definitely, there was a definite difference between weeks one and two and then, you know, weeks three through six, you could tell he was far more comfortable in the pocket. He was far more trusting of the line. He was, you know, he's getting more acclimated to the system and you see the system itself. It's a very, uh, Daryl Bevel, the former offensive coordinator. I mean, his, his system, he would go for it all, all the time. He would challenge the defense. It was, you know, and he would, I think Russell led the league in deep pass attempts last season, if I'm not mistaken. Um, whereas this season, they're picking and choosing far more. They're, Pete Carroll wants to run the ball as much as possible, like you said earlier. You know, they're the only team in the NFL that runs the ball more than they throw the ball. And Pete Carroll wants to run the ball. Um, and the, the, the offense that Brian Schottenheimer brings to the team is set up so that they're happy to run the ball. They're happy to take the short underneath stuff and, you know, work their way down the field until they get that matchup they want. If you go cover zero or you go cover one and you're going to give one-on-one coverage on the outside to Tyler Lockett or you're going to, you know, Doug Baldwin's going to have a one-on-one matchup in the slot, then Russell Wilson's going to see that. He's going to, you know, set it up so that he has the isolation route that he wants and then he's going to try and beat you deep and that's where Tyler Lockett is having an absolutely phenomenal season so far compared to the earlier seasons in his career Doug Baldwin just getting started coming back off of a knee injury so that could be a part of it too uh Will Disley was he he went for over 100 yards in his first game of the season as you know as a fourth-round draft pick tight end out of Washington. But then he, the teller tendon injury has ended his year. So that there were kind of some hiccups with the injuries. Brandon Marshall had some drops uh, early in the season that has kind of lost him some playing time to second-year man David Moore. And so I think it's it's not it's a combination again of things. Russell is you can see Russell becoming more confident and you know more fluid in the system, but it's also the players around him, you know, getting Doug Baldwin back and getting rid of Brandon Marshall in favor of David Moore, who is just a young athletic freak who has I mean, he had a couple touchdowns in the last game against the Raiders and is just has the potential to be a a fantastic receiver for the Seahawks for a long time. All right, I'm going to do my quick Chris impression and say we got to wrap up the segment real quick. Uh, I just want to talk about injury. So in 30 seconds or less, if you can, talk to me about the influence of Ed Dixon and DJ Fluker probably returning to the lineup this week for the Seahawks. Well, Fluker will be in the lineup. I mean, he's uh, he's been playing the last few games. That's not an issue. So he'll be there. Um, Dixon is expected to play this weekend. He he will fill a big hole because they lost Disley. They, Nick Vanette has been battling a um, – a disc injury in his spine that kept him out against uh, against the Raiders. So Dixon stepping in, he is he's not only a receiving threat uh, as a tight end, but he's a fantastic pass blocker as well, which is something that's big for them with you know his ability to line up not just as a tight end, but as an H back or as a fullback out of the shotgun as well. Um, they, you, my guess is we'll see a whole lot of Ed Dixon doing a whole lot of stuff that we haven't seen out of the Seahawks tight ends so far this season yeah ed dixon is a name that lions fans are unfortunately familiar with as he had one of his <laughs> biggest games in his career with the panthers hopefully we won't see that but we're going to talk about that sort of stuff in the next time we're going to talk matchups we're going to make some predictions when we come back with first bite All right, 
we are back here on First Bite for the second segment, the final segment, where we talk about matchups, we talk about which players might impress, which players might struggle, and then we leave you with the one thing that we think we know. Um, Ryan, why, why don't you take us into the matchups? What what are you looking at for this uh, this Sunday matchup? Yeah, and you know what? I, I seem kind of focused and uh, a little bit um, preoccupied with the Seattle passing game when it's clearly not necessarily what they're focused on themselves, as we talked about in the last segment. Um, they're, they're big proponents of the running game. But when I look at the wide receiving core for Seattle, um, it's kind of undergone a little bit of a change, I think, um, in terms of who's seeing you know more opportunities. And I know Doug Baldwin has been hurt. Um, I know he's um, been dealing with some injuries himself. But it looks like Tyler Lockett's finally starting to make good on some of the potential that he, he showed um, in, in years past. Uh, can can you talk to us a little bit about you know what the Seahawks are doing with the wide receiving crew because they're you know they were a team that also brought in Brandon Marshall and maybe wanted to see if they could get a little bit out of him maybe use him situationally in the red zone so talk about you know the wide receivers um, what they do where they line up slot boundary receivers what what can we really expect from Seattle's uh, group of wide receivers here on Sunday. Yeah, they've been running a whole lot of, uh, you know, three wide receiver sets to spread out the defense. And that's something that's really helped not just the passing game, but the running game as well. I mean, if you look at it, um, both Mike Davis and Chris Carson have uh, consistently been running against seven or fewer men in the box this year, which definitely helps both of them. Um, But on the on the receiver side, I mean, you've got they've used. The last couple games have been Lockett on the on one side, on the outside, um, David Moore on the outside, on the other, and both of those guys are burners who you know run four four forties and have good hands. Both are athletic freaks. Lockett's a three-time All-Pro returner, um, whether first team or second team, and then Doug Baldwin in the slot is just as as shifty as shifty can be he he may not be the fastest guy and he's definitely not the biggest guy but his footwork is phenomenal the way he sets up defensive backs he knows what he's doing and you know i mean the lions have some good cornerbacks and they're you know they'll have their hands full and it should be a good matchup with baldwin uh on sunday yeah, I'm with you there because it, it does kind of sound like they have kind of a similar threat to to the Dolphins who we're seeing play Thursday night right now. And we obviously saw play the Lions last week. Um, Lions didn't really cover them all that well, if I'm being completely honest. Uh, Darius Slay has kind of struggled. Um, Tease Tabers had an up and down year. And, and I think these kind of speedy receivers are the ones that kind of give them a lot of trouble, especially if they're running route combinations that include a lot of traffic in the middle. I've seen a lot of Lions defensive backs run into each other over the middle of the field. I just don't think they're quite on the same page yet. So even though, as we've mentioned, the, the Seahawks aren't necessarily that pass heavy team, um, they have the threat there that I think could give the Lions trouble, especially if uh, if they're able to keep if the Seahawks are able to keep the the Lions defense honest by having that balanced attack, but come on, how how are we not talking about snacks Harrison right now? Let's, let's, let's just jump into it because the Seahawks are a run heavy team. The Lions couldn't stop the run up until Wednesday. Now they have snacks (laughs) Harrison and everything is perfect, right? Everything is totally fine. Everything is fixed. Um, Ryan, why don't I throw it to you? How do you see this matchup playing out? And I know that's an extremely hard question to ask at this point, but do you think the Lions have a chance to to finally right the ship uh, against a tough matchup here? If there was any week to to not make any like <laughs> sweeping conclusions, it's going to be this week, right? I mean, you're yeah. going up against one of the better run run offenses in the league. Uh, you have Snacks Harrison, who played on Monday night. And who will, you know, be coming in on a short week, uh, a guy who, as you noted on Pride of Detroit on Thursday, uh, is one guy who might be the first player to ever start 17 NFL games in a season. Um, <laughs> should he, you know, should he start on Sunday against the Seahawks? I'm kind of happy that it is against, you know, one of the top ranked rushing offenses in the league. So, um you know, tell us a little bit about the 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 running game specifically, though, John. Like, does it seem like they're a team that is heavy up the middle? Do they want to get it outside? I know we talked about Carson being a little bit more of a power back and being able to you know run through players and you know averaging so many yards after contact. So, 
does it seem like there's a tendency that the Seattle Seahawks run game adheres to? Uh, I mean, they're in the past they've been uh, you know almost exclusively a zone team. This year it's more of about a 60-40 split where they're running you know zone blocking versus power blocking. But the, one of the things that they want to do, it really seems like who they have in the backfield kind of determines that. Carson has phenomenal vision, so. The, they love to get him the ball uh, on inside zone or outside zone and let him, you know, he's got the patience. He's got the, he's smooth as he's carrying the ball and he, he will see the gap wherever it is. If it's the cutback, he'll take the cutback. If it's hitting the hole, he'll hit the hole. Um, and Mike Davis is more of a, his specialty seems to be more on the power side where you give him a gap, you hit that, you know, give, give him a designed gap, let him let the offensive line blow a hole open and he'll come barreling down through there. Um, with Rashad Penny, they seem to try and get him a few more. When he's gotten the chance to get a carry, it seems like they want to get him, you know, it's a, a kind of a tackle, off guard, off tackle play, where if there's a, you know, a, a little bit of daylight to the edge or a little bit of daylight to the outside, let him get to that part of the field so that he can put the, his speed and his agility to use in the open field. All right, let's flip it to the Lions offense and the, the Seahawks defense because the Seahawks aren't the only team that can establish the run anymore. The Detroit Lions are coming <laughs> off one of their best performances almost ever, I want to say, uh, off of the, the Dolphins with Karrion Johnson leading the way. And the Seahawks, as, as good as their defense has been, the run defense hasn't been great. It, it's been vulnerable at times. Um, with the Lions offensive line looking like they're going to be coming in at full health this game, um, what are your expectations in this matchup? Because I, I think this is a matchup the Lions could surprisingly win, and that's not something I expected to be able to say. Just when you say Lions run offense versus Seahawks run defense, the, the immediate visceral reaction is like, oh, God, Seahawks are going to eat them alive. <laughs> I mean, we, we've seen it happen before. Um, but I think this is a matchup that, that the Lions could actually win. Uh, someone tell me I'm wrong. It's definitely possible because the when the Seahawks have gotten gashed this year, um, I mean, a lot of the time it has been on the ground. Philip Lindsay uh, in week one for the Broncos was, I mean, just he's finding the hole, hitting it hard, and the, the line, the defensive line looked bad. There were times in the preseason where the defensive line did not stop the run at all. Um, they've, you know, they looked a whole lot better. Uh, in the last few weeks, in you know, a couple of last last couple games, but they they. You know, some of that was that they were they were playing the Cowboys when the Cowboys had some offensive line injuries up front, and before they really got things clicking, they played. After that, they, you know, they went to Arizona and they got to play David Johnson with Mike McCoy at offensive coordinator, so that wasn't a big deal. <laughs> and then the Rams, you know, the Rams came to town, and then the Rams did what the Rams do, and they you know, Todd Gurley ran all over the field, and then they shorted up against the Raiders in you know week six. So. Um, you know, they, it's definitely been a, the run game has been dictated. You know, the run defense for the Seahawks has been dictated by the opponent in the last couple of weeks. And so, you know, with the the success that the Lions have demonstrated on the ground in the, you know, last few games, it's definitely a matchup that's intriguing in that I, just like you said, I think it's, uh, I'm leaning a lot more towards Detroit has some potential to run the ball than I would have been a month ago. Reiner, are you ready to, to commit to that, that the Lions actually have a run game capable of beating a team like, you know, Bobby Wagner and the Seahawks? Nope. I mean, I'm saying I'm saying I really liked what I saw against Miami. It was great. And, you know, we did see the, the same work get done against New England and in, in week three. But uh, I it's I need to see more of it. Like okay. I need to see more 100 yard games because I don't want to, I don't want to ever give up on those. I want those for the rest of my life forever. I hate living any other way. That's all I want now. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's get to the final matchup here. And that's, uh, that's lions wide receivers, pretty talented group against these young kind of Seahawks uh, defenders. Now I'm, I'm looking through the PFF grades here and the Seahawks safeties uh, even without Cam Chancellor, are, are one of the highest graded duos in in the league. But the cornerbacks might present some sort of a a weakness, I, I guess I would say, in the Seahawks defense. Could you can you give me a little more background into the Seahawks secondary? Yeah, I mean the the safeties have 
Bradley McDougald uh, at strong safety has stepped in for Cam and has played phenomenally. He, uh, you know, he was a starter when he was in Tampa. They signed him as a free agent before the 2017 season to, uh, I mean, a fantastic one-year, $2 million deal. He stepped in when Chancellor went down in week nine against Arizona last year. And, you know, the defense didn't really miss Cam all that much. Uh, and he's just, he's continued to, they re-signed him in the offseason. He's played fantastic this year. Uh, free safety, the, you know, losing Earl Thomas a couple weeks ago definitely, you know, is going to change things. Um, they definitely, I mean, we you saw when we watched the Rams game, uh, they did whatever they wanted in the secondary in ways that probably wouldn't have happened had Earl been on the field. But, um, you know, it is what it is, and he's, he's on IR and done for the year. Now, at the cornerback, they, that's where they're a little bit weaker because they are younger. The, you know, the starting corners are rookie Trey Flowers, who's a fifth-round draft choice out of Oklahoma State, and they've got Shaquille Griffin. And Griffin's a second-year player. He's definitely made strides. He's improving and I think he's going to be great flowers for where he's at you know seven entering the seventh game of his pro career he's in a great spot but they're still first and second year cornerbacks and they're you know they're still going to have first and second year cornerback moments whereas at the, the nickel cornerback Justin Coleman they acquired him in kind of a last minute end of the end of training camp deal with the Patriots last year and he's been phenomenal in the slot for uh, at nickel for the Hawks all of 2017 and 2018 so far as well all right i think that's good enough background on these matchups it's time to move into our predictions as always we close out the podcast with something we call one thing we think we know and so ryan you're going to kick things off what is the one thing you think you know about Lions seahawks I always have to take it to the wallets. I never want to talk about the hearts or anything like that. So let's go straight to the spread. The Lions right now stand at minus three, which is essentially a pick them because they're at home. Uh, but take a look at the over under. And I know we've talked about this the past couple of weeks because the Lions have been able to put up big numbers, but uh, the over-under is set at 49. I could definitely see this one taking a grinded-out defensive approach. So if there's one thing I think I know is that I think if a team scores 20, that's going to that's gonna win them the game. I don't, I don't foresee just 20. I, I think if, if a team gets 20, that's going to be, that's going to be the mark for the victor. I don't, I don't see this being a high scoring game. I, I think both teams are going to want to run the ball. Um, hopefully snacks Harrison can, can bottle up some of that Seattle run game. Uh, hopefully the, the lions can play the possession game because that seems to be the trademark to any game that they win. But uh, I, I truly think that the first team to get to 20 is probably going to be able to put a cap on this one. Okay, I like it. It's a little bold. I don't necessarily agree, but I like it. Uh, John, how about you? What's the one thing you think you know about this game? Um, I mean, the one thing I know about this game is that uh, obviously I do not want Detroit to score many points at all. But if they have to score and they do get the ball into the end zone, I do want it to be Golden Tate because he was one of my favorite Seahawks when he was in Seattle. And, you know, I, I'll be upset that they gave points, but at least at least it was Golden if it was. What about Luke Wilson? I, I was never as big of a Luke Wilson fan. And, it, I, you know, it's just – he was he was always he was funny and he was you know different you know but golden was they had the hawks had the big rivalry with with the rams i mean obviously the biggest rivalry was with the the 49ers but with the rams they were always tough fights and the one thing that the, the memory of golden of all his time in seattle the thing i remember about him more than anything is he caught a long pass against the rams in 2013 on a thursday night game when they were on the road and just taunting the rams oh, yeah. back as he was on his way into the end zone and it's i mean it was gold the gold that was the attitude it, that was, it was like he was the offensive member of the legion of boom you know you had richard sherman and Michael Bennett yammering on the defensive side of the ball, but Golden Tate was the guy on the offensive side who brought that. And I think the offense missed that for a long time. And I was I was really upset with you guys when you got him. So, <laughs> a, uh, a a quick a quick fun fact: I was in a Chili's in Auburn Hills when I was watching that game. I don't know why I remember wow. that play specifically, <laughs> but it was a TV in the corner, and I remember seeing that, and I'm like, Golden Tate just has such a horn on him to be able to do something like that. What a, what a guy. I was like, I, 
I want him to play for the Lions someday. Yeah. You got your wish. All right. The, uh, in, in, a the, in the Chile and Auburn Hills. Where dreams come true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The, the one thing I think I know, and I'm going to be a little bold here, is I think the offense that we saw last week against the Dolphins is going to continue into this week. I know that the Seahawks have a good defense, but the, the Dolphins had a good statistical defense as the Lions were rolling into town. Um, you look at the teams that the Seahawks have played so far, Broncos, Bears, Cowboys, Cardinals, Rams, Raiders, not exactly a murderer's row of quarterbacks there. I think Matthew Stafford, Kerryon Johnson are going to continue to roll into this game. And, and you know, I'm not going to say they're going to blow out the, the over-under on their own, but I think they're, they're going to push well into the 20s, maybe even into the 30s on Sunday. So that's my prediction. That's uh, that's the whole podcast. But before we close things out, we always want to give our guests a chance to promote their stuff, see where we can hear and read and uh, inform ourselves about the other side of the, the field there. So, John Gilbert, where can people find you? What can we read about? Uh, promote your stuff. Let's hear it. Hey, I, you know, I'm a staff writer over field goals. A lot of the work that I do has been on the offensive line, um, but I focus a lot on analytics and numbers, uh, you know, stats, what trends, what kind of stuff like that. Follow me on Twitter and at, at Seahawks machine if you want. Um, but that's, you know, I'm, I'm just a Seahawks fan who likes to follow the team and got too much free time doesn't know what to do with it so he writes a lot <laughs> i can relate all right john thanks for joining us tonight uh we wish you as much good luck as we possibly can that still results in a loss but we appreciate <laughs> you joining us sharing your golden tate stories with us and uh, showing us a lot of information about the seahawks hey no problem it was great to be on you guys are a ton of fun and uh just looking forward to not being on a bye week this weekend <laughs> i hear that i hear that well thanks for joining us everybody we will see you on monday with the pride of detroit pod cast hello i'm spencer hall from sb nation and i want to tell you about my new show it seems smart it seems smart is a show about people doing things that for some reason or another seems smart at the time those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain or I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.